And just like that, we are in another review. All we did was change the lighting, and now we went from the red heat to the icy cold, and we watched the Thing prequel. That's right, the the it's like a prequel remake. It's a prequel reboot that very few of its kind can be considered to be a, a prequel reboot. We, we know about the requel, which is like a reboot and a sequel all at the same time, but to do a prequel version, you don't generally see that. And I remember hating this when it came out. I watched it once and just rolled my eyes, super turned off by the CGI. I was still turned off by the CGI, but I was more forgiving of a lot of things. I We watched The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, a couple, couple days back, and I figured... I saw this on Amazon Prime. I'll check that out. Haven't seen that in it's been 10 years. It was like watching the movie from the begin from, you know, completely refreshed with a, a, a fresh set of eyes. One of those revisits where you're like rewatching the movie for the first time. So that was good. And uh, you know, I saw a lot of potential and a lot of missed opportunities in this film and I found it incredibly incredibly frustrating. You know, uh let's take a look at my notes here. So right off the bat, if you're going to give me a thing prequel, which they do, that's what they did. Give it to me from the POV of the thing itself. We know the mystery. We don't need to go through it all over again. I don't need to see these characters discover what the thing is. We already, it's not for the characters anymore. It's for the audience. The audience already discovered this in the 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 sequel from night or the you know whatever the original from 1982 which is actually a remake so it's kind of hard to qualify what is what we don't need that as a matter of fact there is a short story which I'm going to read on the channel there's a short story from the thing's perspective and it's really well done it's really well written and that is what I want to see and if you're not going to give me that at least show us the same movie but from the thing's perspective as the thing moves around and sort of stalks its prey. You know what I mean? And, and you know, the only way that a movie like this works is if you want something to be a remake as well as a prequel. And that's clearly what they wanted here because they wanted to capture new audiences as well as the fan base, which is incredibly stupid in, in the case of this story. Like, you know, if it's a prequel, then you should be focusing on trying to, you know, all prequels should explore something from a different perspective. If we know how you're going to get there, then go from a different, show us something new. Otherwise, what's the point? We already know the answer, you know? And so you could tell they like wanted like, hey, we want to get, we want to repeat the thing that made the thing great, but we also want to give something to the hardcore fans that already know the thing. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's, it's nothing speaks like homogenous, you know, when you shamelessly remake the, uh, the Norwegian camp and make it an inter international camp with English speakers. Because in the original thing, they're all speaking Norwegian. And now suddenly it's like a Norwegian camp with international speakers who are, you know, they're just from all over the place. They're English people and Norwegian people and Germans and uh, but everybody's speaking English because this is for an English audience. I thought that was kind of lame as well. Like, I feel like it would have been more authentic if they had just stuck to Norwegians on a Norwegian base. 
But at the end of the day, it's open to interpretation. It could have been like an international Norwegian station, you know. Um, in the plus side of the column, even though the CGI is very CGIE, it's it's not as bad. Look, it's like it's just something we have to accept, at least with this movie. I have to accept that this is the CGI and this is the situation, even though it's not great. Uh, there are some legitimately uh, creepy sequences that work, not creepy, but like, you know, exciting sequences that work only because of the surprise element. They really do well with some of the, the fake outs, you know, uh, the, twice, the first two fake outs, you're not expecting the thing to be the thing. And, you know, what I noticed, it seems like a, on a very aggressive, it's, it's an aggressive monster approach you know, which is so far away from the M.O. of the, the the creature in John Carpenter's film, which seems to be all about survival. You know, I, I think that the reason why you see these two different approaches is in this one, the thing is waking up after being frozen for 100,000 years and it's aggressive and on the offensive. That makes sense. In John Carpenter's one, the creature is more cautious and more sneaky because... It's already experienced fight, fighting humans and almost died. So it has to be really careful about how it infiltrates. So it's much more sneaky. And you get a little bit of that paranoia. I mean, the, the thing is so much about paranoia. And this film confirms my theory about the previous one, although obviously it could have been retroactively written because that doesn't mean that John Carpenter had this in mind. But it really seems like the people that have the thing inside of it sometimes, most of the time, are not aware that they have the thing. It's like they are just as surprised when their bodies rip apart and they become these monstrous creatures. And, you know, it makes me wonder why do they have the flamethrowers at all? Like, what do you need a flame? Like, what are you thawing in in the ice cold anyway? Like, what, what needs to be thawed? I mean, obviously things need to be thawed, but you, would you use flamethrowers? Is that the most practical approach to thawing things? I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. But... It really does seem that the people who harbor the thing have no idea, and they're they're just as shocked. Uh, they try to do that the the blood test thing, and this is just an eye rolling rehash from from the the first film. And it's like we don't need like we all, we go through this, we've seen this already, and they subvert it a little bit because the 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 test gets destroyed, so they have to check via the fillings. But it's the fact that they have like this conversation that's so similar to. John Carpenter's version that kind of has me rolling my eyes a little bit. I do like that they deviated and decided, you know, it's all about the fillings. The creature can't re replicate metal. That's something that doesn't really get uh, dwelled upon or dissected in the first one. So I thought that worked. We do Joel Egerton. He kind of plays the McCready character, you know, and it works, but it also kind of feels like, oh, we need to have the McCready character because this is a thing movie and it's synonymous with the thing. Which is kind of stupid to think that there are two McCready's, like, you know, that are neighbors in Antarctica or whatever. Kind of stupid. But fine, fine. Um, ultimately, I what this movie made me realize is that because it's on such an offensive this time, the the thing in the sequel, or the pre, whatever, I don't know how to talk about them because they have the same name. The thing in John Carpenter's film is a defensive creature. I find that to be kind of a revelation. It's, it's, it's purely about survival. That's why, you know, when it does sort of reveal itself, it does so out of complete desperation. 
it doesn't do it to attack and assimilate like it does in this film. And, you know, there's this whole, they're wondering where Lars is. As it turns out, Lars is the guy that's in the helicopter at the beginning of John Carpenter's film. Because they kind of, they show that, the scene that happens right before that shows the, the dog running towards the next base camp. And it works. It's cool. I like that connectivity and whatnot. You know, this film was supposed to have a lot of special effects. And they got switched out at the last moment and they instead did uh, CGI, probably as a cost-cutting component or whatever. But it really has not benefited the movie all these years later. It's still worth a watch, man, if you've never seen it. And it doesn't, it does, it, it it definitely aged better than, like when it first came out, we all just were like, why do we need this, you know? What I do like about it being a prequel instead of a sequel is, you know, the end of John Carpenter's film is very, like, final. It's a very sort of final, definitive situation. They have to destroy the base and they have to freeze in the cold so the thing can't get out. I love that. I really, really love that. So the idea of them going back and doing a prequel I find is interesting because it still lets the story remain contained as well as dwell on certain things that we didn't get to see in John Carpenter's film. However, as I said, and I'll say it again, I'll say it redundantly over and over and over again, had they just simply made it from the thing thawing out and sort of almost making the thing the protagonist, it would have been a far more interesting film. In fact, it might be lauded as one of the great horror sequel prequels for that reason. And they just, you know, the executives, they can't wrap their mind around a cool, fresh, original approach like that. And instead are going to just try and homogenize it as much as possible so they can try and reach the widest audience as possible. And now what do we have? We have a sequel. We have a prequel that 10 years later is relatively... Unforget, uh, relatively forgettable, and you know, is only being revisited because I happened upon it on Amazon Prime. That's it. We'll see you tomorrow for another movie.